Welcome to Create New Futures, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Aviv Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders and entrepreneurs to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Sophie Wade. Sophie is an authority on the future of work, an international speaker, and the author of Empathy Works. Sophie, it's good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Aviv. It's a pleasure to be here. So let us dive right in by asking you first, what do you enjoy most about your work? I believe passionately in the way that we can change work and the workplace and how we're interacting to be a much more enjoyable and productive experience that benefits business and benefits each one of us in whatever situation we may have. So I do think we're in a, at a very powerful moment of in time or a really, I guess, maybe a tipping point where we have the technology, we have tools that we can utilize to make our lives a lot better rather than sort of having the machines determine our lives. We can be leveraging those and actually moving forward in a very different way. Well, many will claim that we have already lost the battle and that we are in service of the machines rather than the machines serving us. You believe we are at that tipping point. We can shape the future. We can still make the technology work for us rather than the other way around. We can, definitely. We need to be purposeful about it and intentional about it. And I think there are so many elements to how we're working that we have been geared about the machines. You know, we built the machines, built the factories. We were very worried about, you know, population explosion, not having enough food. We needed to produce all these things and help build that better life and food production and all those kind of things. We're in a different place now in terms of what our capabilities are and what we can do with those machines. We have sophisticated, much more intuitive touch screens. There are so many things, the nano machines which can go inside our bodies and you know deal with our health issues. I mean, we have incredible machines. I believe that we need to reframe how we're using machines and technology. And when it comes to AI as well, there are many different aspects and areas that we need to be thinking about this. But I am very positive about the fact that we now can be looking at each one of our workers and employees individually and adjusting much more for works for them. Obviously, you know, there's a compromise among teams within a unit. You know, it's not just everybody gets what they want, but we are at a turning point and the pandemic has allowed this to be much more of a turning point. We're in a period of inflection, which is going to be definitely messy at best, <laughs> but we have that opportunity now. So I did a word, a word count on your website, 
And I found okay. that you use the word empathy, I think 12, 12 or 14 times just on the homepage. If we go on the entire site, it's probably uh, somewhere in the 80 or 100 times. So this obviously is an important idea for you. Mm. So let me ask you, what is empathy? How do you define empathy? Okay. I define it as the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and to understand and connect with what they're experiencing, to feel what they're feeling. But you first have to understand the world as they see it through their eyes and then sort of tap into their feelings, experience what they're feeling. I will say that empathy came to me not as something kind of like, oh, yes, empathy is the thing that I need to be you know, expounding about. It was much more of the solution that came to me from dealing with various issues in, because I started off in workplace flexibility 11 years ago, and which obviously hybrid working, distributed working, distributed workforces was, you know, it's all of that. And there were three sort of pillar issues that I came through and what I was being asked of me in terms of clients, which was to do with new types of leadership, much more sort of leading from within more oversight than command and control. Then there was the different challenges between the communication between generations and, you know, boomers lamenting about those darn millennials and vice versa. Um, and the last one was decentralized working, the distributed workforce. And in all of those, particularly it sort of came to me looking at millennials and I was like, okay, I've had so many people complaining about these millennials. This is a long time ago. And I looked at all the research and there was so much that was very similar to any generation being at that age and coming into the workforce as they were. It was much more about putting myself in their shoes and looking at what their career environment was. Did they have 30-year trajectories going into an organization? Absolutely not. What had technology done in terms of changing the environment, allowing you know, they were coming in kind of going, oh, we've got all this technology or you know, that we could be working from home so or anywhere. Why aren't we? And that was what got me talking about empathy. And it was literally just like, put yourself in their shoes. Like they have a whole different way of seeing the world because they've come in and don't have the legacy of 20 or 30 years working in the same way. So that's how it came as a solution. And then looking at how we have this sort of counterbalance to the all the highly digitalized ways that we're working now. And I really sort of saw that, you know, it's technology and talent. It is the combination of these two that is really important. So what then is the big idea that you are codifying in your book, Empathy Works? It's really understanding empathy, how it works, and really communicating that it is very important in the workplace. We all use it in our personal lives, but bringing it into the workplace just because we didn't think that we needed it there. We've always been empathetic outside of, it's been very transactional, sort of moving to from transactional to experiential, to that employee experience. So that's a big shift. So I really look at it as being a human-centric system. And the big idea really is that you have, I draw a, a yin-yang symbol. And so you have the customer experience and the customer journey. And then the other sort of fold in, in that yin-yang symbol is the employee experience and the employee journey. So it's really about the customer journey, the employee journey, because it's all understanding human beings. And now that work is much more complicated and less predictable, we need to be working in a very different way. And the nature of work has changed. And so we had a perfect storm of bad things that were happening, honestly, right until the pandemic hit work-wise. 
And now we can reset. We can do a sort of great reset, refresh, and think about things differently because we were straining against a very different working environment and business environment, but we weren't prepared or able to change how we were doing things, even though you know business was changing all around us. And it's part of the premise that A, we are naturally wired to empathy, that we can actually build the empathy muscle. Is that part of the premise that we can coach, we Absolutely. can train, we so, can build that capacity? Yes. So the third part of the book is all about how and where to focus empathy habits. So it is something that is second nature to all of us. There's anthropologist, sorry, primatologist called Franz Deval, who talks about it as being something that is second nature, that is sort of universal truth for all of us. And there's from Harvard, there's Dr. Helen Reese, who is, you know, talks about that empathy really is the basis for all human relationships, reciprocity, collaboration, all of these different things is one of those sort of base core skills and understanding that we have. So yes, everybody can learn it. We just need to bring it into the workplace. And so to be very practical, because what I want to do is everybody to sort of understand the uses. It's like, how can you make meetings more productive apart from being empathetic and reducing the number of meetings, I think is really important as a you know, top line, but really how to, that any interaction can be improved in lots and lots of little ways. It can be, you know, just trying to thinking about what you know, what you understand, finding common ground with the person that you're dealing with. If you have to talk about a different difficult topic, you know, where talking about where you are on the same page, where you do have common agreement about particular areas of it, and then moving on to some of the more difficult aspects when you've already connected. Where So there are lots and lots of different ways, whether you're in sales, whether you're a leader, you know, working in teams, and of course, hybrid working, whether you work, some people working remotely, some people work in the office, you know, all of that really, the more that you can use empathy to understand the people that you're working with or for, it's really going to help all of those interactions um, and outcomes be better. So you are really framing empathy at three levels. You're mm -hmm. framing it as a value. Mm -hmm. You're framing it as a practice, as a leadership practice. And you're framing empathy as a way of doing business that delivers results. These are the three altitudes that I hear in the architecture of empathy. Yes, three. I frame it as a value, a mindset which goes sort of goes through everything. And then it habits, skills that put into habits so that, that I can describe them and sort of easily communicate. This is where you can do it. You can be listening. You can be asking open questions. You can, you know, all the different elements, watching for signals. What are the signals that people are giving you so that it's sort of easy to establish new habits and build those into the routines as we're starting to have very different work arrangements, which are challenging people, you know, all over the place. So really starting new ways of working with better skills or more integrating many more soft skills, particularly empathy, into that. So when you work with a senior leader and, I don't know, you may be doing their empathy inventory or their empathy uh, whatever score, and then you work to help them cultivate a higher level of empathy as part of the leadership practice. What will be typically the one or two or three big things you will focus on? 
It really depends on the person. I mean, a key thing I think for leaders now is really to be understanding each person individually and they need to start with themselves. It's very hard to empathize. You know, there's a chapter in the book, which is called, you know, it starts with you. And then the next chapter is, but it's all about them. (laughs) But if we don't, if a leader doesn't really understand him or herself well, or themselves well, then it's very hard to be adapting or helping somebody understand how they work best and then helping them adapt and adapt within the team and adjust and be listening to each other. If you, what your oneself isn't listening and adjusting, adapting and recognizing, oh, I'm better in the morning than the evening. And so that level of awareness, now self-awareness is a huge thing. Like, you know, that is an enormous issue perhaps that we don't all personally have necessarily huge awareness. Awareness often comes with great struggle and suffering. And this is a moment where we actually need to start looking inside. And it's obviously not something I try and tackle in the book. I just would say, these are some of the things from a business perspective that we can sort of start to understand about ourselves so that we can recognize some of these things in other people. But it certainly is a very useful journey to go on. And so I, you know, I look at some of the things like StrengthsFinder or, you know, Myers-Briggs and, you know, some of those elements that can help people understand a lot more about themselves, you know, as they're interacting, particularly in professional situations. So yes, there's a lot to unpack, but that I do feel that this is both a fascinating and important journey to be going on. When you step back, Sophie, and you look broadly at the kind of challenges that you are observing now with leaders in different sectors of the economy, with different spaces, what would you say are the top two or three or four key challenges for senior executives at this time? Yes. So finishing up on that last point, which was about what leaders need to be doing is is starting off with understanding each person individually, not in huge depth, but I think the challenge is not being overwhelmed by that idea that I need to understand every single, you know, I need to understand everybody. Of course, the top leaders, you know, any leader only needs to really understand the people in their team, in their group. But adapting to this mindset that in order to get the most out of people, it's much more, it's shifting from command and control to oversight and support. And which is a huge difference in term and the idea that i am not all knowing and all understanding and i can come up with hopefully the best idea the best strategy it really is so much more complicated moving at at a faster pace these days much more unpredictable obviously not as extreme as during the pandemic but we are dealing with a very different pace and sort of increased volatility of business and going in different directions because of new technology developments, because of supply chain disruptions, because of all the different things that are happening simultaneously, that as a leader, I need to be much more collaborative and working together with more people from everybody throughout the organization, even the people at the very bottom who have the least business experience, but they may have the best intuitive understanding of technology that could be the best thing for the business. So really, I don't want to say crowdsourcing, but but really taking inputs from all over the organization and leading in a very different way than we have before. And I think for many leaders, that's incredibly difficult to make that transition. Indeed. 
So truly the three differentiators, you are pointing at the technology, speed, and the volatility slash disruption. Because in many ways, some of the key ideas you're sharing, they do have a bit about them, a kind of a back to the future story. I mean, if you travel back a little bit, okay, so we come back to the 60s, 70s of the previous century, the, the rise of the human potential movement, the encounter mm-hmm. groups, tea groups. So many of those ideas of empathies appear there. You then come a decade or two later and appreciative inquiry becomes very central and people discover that the way we need to work with teams is not to diagnose what's broken, but to focus on what's working well and build on yep. that leads in wave three, if you like, in the 90s to the coaching revolution. Initially, coaching was a remedial intervention, and then it became, now we actually need to invest the coaching dollars in our best performers because mm-hmm. that will help them become better. So what you are describing is, okay, how do we take almost an ancient wisdom in the workforce and bring it to currency in an environment that's highly technological, so volatile, and so fastly moving. That's how I'm decoding what you're sharing. I guess for me, the inquiry is, how authentic is it? And do people believe that you're giving them techniques to get just more out of people, drive the business and business results? Or is it something that, as you said initially, will truly unlock a more human-centric, healthier, wiser environment at work. You can push back and say, these are not mutually exclusive. I want to... Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yes, you can have people who are empathetic and extremely manipulative. And talking to a friend of mine who is extraordinary as a salesperson, and she has said that she knows some very manipulative salespeople who are using empathy in order to understand their potential, you know, how to convert the person. But I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. I do think that we since, in fact, very little work has been done on empathy as it is. It sort of started in 1996. It was kind of a mistake for some Italian scientists. That said, all that we've learned, been learning about human behavior, psychology, behavioral economics, all those types of things, which have been sort of since the 1950s, there's been sort of serious study on it. All of these have been compounding to benefit us in terms of, so it's all sort of been additive as far as I would see, and how we are quote using that in the workplace. And so I think some people in some ways need to use it because they do have, find it much harder to connect with and be empathizing. I gave a speech, which I mentioned in the book, and there was about 400, 500, mostly tech developers. And one guy came up to me at the end. He was completely panicking about the fact that he had 10 reports. He's like, oh my God, you know, how can I actually possibly like connect emotionally with all of them? And I was like, you don't have to feel what they're feeling, you know, certainly not immediately and not with all of them. You just the more that you're showing that you care and you're asking the questions and you're listening to the answers and you, you know, asking open questions and not trying to shut people down because you don't want to deal with it, that's huge. You know, that's huge steps forward. 
and much in very beneficial in terms of how you're connecting with people and the relationships you're going to be able to have with them and how much more they're going to be opening up about all kinds of different things. It doesn't have to, if you find emotional connection, you know, much, much harder, that's okay. So it's something that's still very beneficial, even if you're not empathizing all the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be disingenuous if you're kind of using it in the business place, because it will help establish strong relationships, engagement, a lot more trust-based relationships and interactions. And I do see that being hugely beneficial. So right there, the pivot from leading with answers to actually leading with inquiry Mm. as a way of approaching things. And as simple as if as a manager, as a leader, if I can learn to ask a simple question to the people that report to me, such as, how can I help you get your work done easier? How can mm. I make your experience here better? These are simple questions and yes. they make a powerful difference. And the question of how would you add to this or do this? The act of Paul J. Zach has done some really interesting work on trust and just a leader asking questions of their team members to show that they don't know the answer to, or just, you know, inviting others to contribute and be part of the solution that actually increases oxytocin and increases empathy and be no better relationships and better solutions. So, you know, I mean, there are some very powerful neuroscientific reasons to be asking these questions because it really does make a difference in terms of how people are interacting and the solutions they're going to come up with. So let's overlay into this now the appreciation and the perspective you have about the different generations at work. I don't even know how to call them anymore. I don't know that we can <laughs> talk about millennials and Generation Z. I, my current experience is that right between the 22, 23 to late 30s, 40s, we probably are already looking at maybe three or four generations. I don't know if that has been substantiated, but I see a different orientation, a different set of values shifting almost every four or five years. So I'm really keen to hear from you. What are you discovering? What's the latest research about that? So labels are horrible. (laughs) Most people don't like them at all. I certainly have met somebody who is, he's one of the older millennials. And he said that certainly the millennial group, you can break into two parts because the older millennials were not digital, were not actually taught digitally. They got digital devices, powerful digital devices early on, but not that it wasn't at school. And that actually makes a difference. So for me, that's the definition of digitally native. They were actually, they showed up in a world where they never knew that there was a not digitized world. Right. So the difference for me, the most stark difference for me between generations, if I were to actually say that I believe in any segmentation like that is because of how they have or not grown up with types of technology. I mean, obviously, you know, I grew up with technology too, you know, much more primitive technology. But when I look at Generation Z, which is basically 1995, 1996 onwards, those really are the digital natives who grew up and never knew anything without powerful digital smartphones. And that really, I see making a difference in terms of, particularly how expansively they look at things. They have 
always had incredible access to information. So if I think about how I grew up, you know, there was Encyclopedia Britannica and you could ask your parents and you could ask some teachers, but there was very limited access to information. And that, you know, does sort of limit how you look at the world or you look at your local environment and communities because that's your form of reference, your frame of reference. When you're starting out with this, information is ubiquitous. You can get access to information about everything, you know, all the time. That changes how you look at any problem. And so it is really how technology, for me, changed the information access and therefore power. You know, power used to be, information used to be power. You know, the pyramid, the top, people at the top of the pyramid had all the power because they had all the information. And so that has really one of the reasons that we have a different dynamic with all these, you know, younger people speaking up because they know much more than we than I did going into the into the workplace. So I think there are many ways that technology has changed people's approach, attitude, and understanding of the world and what they can do with it and what agency that they have because of technology. So the people you're describing as Gen Z, they are the 30, 31, 32, early 30s. How do you call the 22, 23, 24? No, Gen, no, Gen Z will be like 26 and below, 25. So it's 1996 up to 2015. Okay. So the eldest is 26, I think. Well, fair enough. So what to me is clear is that it would be incomplete to evaluate them purely on technology exposure basis. There are sure. obviously the big shifts in terms of the economy, what happens, the 2000 shift, the 07, 08, where were they at that point in time in the Great Recession? And where were they in terms of what has occurred over the last seven years. So to me, it sounds like there is more discovery to and more articulation that we need to develop about how do they collaborate? Because I, my son runs you know, his own company. He's 36. So and he's, he's a millennial. So he's really bang in the middle of the millennials. Right. Yeah. And he's got all those different generations working for him. Mm. And they're wired differently and they have different... Yeah. interests and motivations and the idea, I believe, in what you are inviting us to recognize in an empathy as an organizing principle at work, how do you facilitate a space that will embrace the, all those talents and all that natural brilliance and genius and help them unlock their best capability? That's the point. So it's stepping back from assumptions. It's stepping back from judgments and asking a lot more questions because you know it really goes to inclusion and really being able to make a safe space an open space that everybody can contribute in feels comfortable speaking up sharing their ideas which is what we really need and being able to work as fully as our authentic selves as possible and you know it's kind of like oh bring your best self to work you know bring your full self to work 
so many people are not ready to deal with the full self of everybody else because they haven't been ready to empathize or haven't been or aren't used to empathizing. And so we did bring much more, you know, two-dimensional cutouts of ourselves because that was the best, most appropriate way to be dealing. I mean, so I'm very British when it comes to that kind of thing, you know, just like, you know, face and stiff upper lip and just not to show too much emotion. Now we're it is more complicated and we need to be when we're, I mean, the fact that we managed all to rally and achieve so much during the last two years is fantastic, but those were emergency conditions. And, you know, it's very hard to continue on at that pace and at that level of stress and intensity, but there are amazing learnings that we can have at what we managed to achieve and how close we managed to work together and come up with amazing solutions. And so some of the elements of what we learned and how we when we were more vulnerable and raw and trying to survive through some very difficult conditions, what we were able to achieve. And I think that was really being very open and much more empathetic. And I think that's why I'm even comfortable on my website using the word empathy so many times, because it is a word that was not talked about much, certainly not in business until it came to the pandemic. And now it is something that many business leaders, owners, employees recognize is part of that set of skills. I don't like, you know, hard or soft skills, but part of that skill set that everybody is needing. You know, never mind all the trauma that everybody is, you know, is lingering, it still has to really to process and get to a better place. You know, obviously companies need to have more mental health support and all those types of things. But I think that awareness of each person and what their needs are, and how that will benefit the business and be a sustainable way to grow your business, you know, beneficial for, you know, innovation and creativity and all those type of things, as well as retaining your employees and, you know, helping support them so that they can continue to be contributing in the most productive way possible. What were for you the one or two key formative, earlier formative experiences that brought you to, and shaped in some way, your outlook and belief that brought you to do the work you're doing today? It goes back a little bit, <laughs> quite a long way. Um, I actually, I studied science at the end of high school in England, you sort of really focus, but I didn't want to do that university where you typically study one subject. I was like, I don't want to do chemistry or physics. So I ended up studying Chinese, the poetry, history, culture, philosophy, the whole works. Fascinating. And the language. And then I actually went and I lived in Hong Kong. And so, and that started me on a journey of living and working in five different countries. Now, obviously the US as well. And that was incredibly important. Not just that I was working in different environments. So I never had one set way of believing work because people working in Germany work very differently. And they, you know, they will sign on at nine o'clock and typically sign off at five o'clock in the afternoon and typically will not work at weekends period. That's it. Very different from Hong Kong, very different from the US. The other thing was about empathizing with people about very different cultures. And I, I lived in Taiwan as part of my course, probably over six months. And that was extraordinarily, an extraordinary enlightening experience for me to really try and understand a very, very, very different culture to my own and trying to put myself in their shoes and experience what they were experiencing and you know, how they believed in life and, you know, and reincarnation and, you know, approach to business and all 
very, very different. Some things were very similar. Some things were very different. And one thing that I actually only recently remembered, when I was traveling around China at different times, they would typically, when they found out I was British, they would say, oh, Guizhou. And Guizhou means noble race. And what they meant by that is it's a very old, long culture, just like China. And so they immediately picked something that was commonality. They immediately tried to were, were empathizing with me in terms of, ah, you know, we are both these, you know, have long histories and cultures. And so, you know, fascinating, just like some of these data points that, and I sort of saw how similar the Chinese and the Italians are, you know, food, never mind, never mind noodles and pasta, but, you know, it's all about the family and congregating around mealtime and the many other similarities. So those that working and being in different countries and sort of moving around the world, which I absolutely adore doing, were very formative in terms of ending up at a place where I can look at work very differently and and really try and empathize with with different cultures and backgrounds and contexts. It's a very curious comment about the Chinese because, of course, they have mixed feelings about the Brits because it is oh a, yes oh the yes. empire that they suffered the hundred years hundred <laughs> years of <laughs> that's uh, you know always the case you know there's always yeah. mixed feelings in in all situations. What would you say were the critical choices you have made to release yourself to be free to find your authentic voice on this journey of being able to um, well encourage in others a way to find their voice. What were some of the critical choices you made to bring that sense of authenticity? In my journey writing the book, I recognized that I grew up in a family of very strong characters who didn't necessarily empathize with me. <laughs> And it has taken me a journey to recognize that I have needs. And just as As an empath can sort of give up sort of be bulldozed because they sort of give up their needs and a narcissist you know does the sort of does the opposite and it's all about them there always needs to be a balance of needs and it's been a journey for me to understand without even ever referring to the word empathy what where that balance can be and where it's when you sort of get the sense that a conversation or an interaction is not you As balanced as it would best be for both people to feel sort of comfortable in that situation so that really comes from you know originally comes from my childhood and feeling under developing patterns that allowed me to understand that one of the things I missed was actually somebody <laughs> caring about my needs so that's one aspect of it I think that as I said this journey I had going around the world was has been absolutely fascinating to me and I do I love people I find people fascinating sometimes it's a very small F sometimes it's a very big F but human psychology is fascinating and then as I've been on this journey which wasn't about empathy it was about you know workplace flexibility and working in different ways and I had two kids and so that's sort of where I started this particular you know recent journey because all I was doing before I was doing sort of strategy and finance and building business plans and helping people get money raise money and stuff like that that we all have very very different needs and as I was understanding there was this thing called the future of work and oh my goodness it was just you know that was going to be so difficult and different that when I understood that all these trends which we've been seeing for years which are relatively have been quite obvious 
trying to communicate them so that people listen and actually hear me and want to do anything about it because of human psychology, because fear and inertia are the two huge things that prevent people from making change, that humans are not creatures of change. And I love change, but generally people don't like change and, you know, habits are very strong. So my learning, my own huge learning was how to be speaking to people in ways that they would understand some of the information that I was sharing it was not like I wasn't trying to teach anybody. It was kind of like, these are some of the things that are happening and this is going to help your business be successful. If I didn't say it in the right words and really try and connect with who they were and understand their perspective and their pain points, they were, it was going to be completely useless. So, and that's been a fascinating journey for me. Absolutely fascinating. So part of the idea of embracing the more of the whole person at work will mean also means also that we need to learn to illuminate the shadow elements and integrate. That also means that it begins by self-compassion and self-care, because if we can't practice these yeah. attributes with ourselves, whatever we do with others is going to be superficial and it's not going to be sustainable because we are not generating the same renewal mechanism on the inside. So it really is a journey to discover yourself in a whole new at work and therefore be available as a leader for others in a whole new way. Yes. And yet my book makes it much, much easier because we start with empty habits. <laughs> and I say that because, yes, the journey is a big one because it really starts with self-awareness. And that's a long journey. And it, you know, it's, it takes a lifetime. It's one guy I interviewed, he says, it takes more than a lifetime to really understand yourself. I think there are lots of different things, small steps that people can take to better understand themselves and therefore also be able to understanding the people around them who work and they will be aware like, Oh, Fred is, you know, asleep in the morning, but not just being aware that Fred is asleep in the morning. So they, but they actually do change the time of that morning meeting so that Fred is actually on form and can be really contributing to the conversation. So it is not just the understanding it's doing something about it. And I think that's one of the things, because we do actually have much more self-awareness in the workplace than we sometimes people own up to. And I think it's really just being much more aware of that. Um, and particularly because this period of transition, which is coming out of the pandemic, which is a lot of economic disruption and business disruption and work, all this stuff with work arrangement, and they're, they're hard to get right. That is going to, there is already a lot more conflict and stress and tension. And so just connecting better, understanding each other better, is going to help reduce some of that. My three exit questions. With all that you know today, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Going back to that 25-year-old self? Yeah. Hmm. Or alternatively to a 25-year-old person today? <laughs> That's probably easier. So, you know, my son is 22. I would say, and my daughter's 15, so it is different in terms of, it is the more that they are in a much better place because they do have a lot more understanding about themselves and the world. And that puts them, thankfully, in a, in a better place for understanding what's going on. 
it does make them much more aware of the challenges that we're facing right now. And so that I think is a difficulty of being a young person now moving into the world because we are in flux and that is destabilizing as a sort of baseline. But I think the more that people can understand about themselves and be purposeful and intentional about the steps that they're taking, like if you really, really hate your job, leave it, but know why you're leaving it and understand what the benefits are that you got out of that company. And do you want to leave it right now? You know, are the things that you can change? So in all things, be taking purposeful, thoughtful steps there are so much many more choices that people can take, which is fantastic, and be doing things more that they enjoy. Because there are so many people who've done jobs for 30 years that they've hated. <laughs> and I hope that we don't have to, you know, there are more choices, there are more options. People can adjust their lives and make it fit better. And I think all of those things that can happen now are, are really beneficial, but it has to be intentional. And there are many things to be thinking about. If you were to lose all that you know and keep only two ideas, two practices, or two capabilities, what would you keep? Well, I choose really big ones. The ability to understand myself and to understand others. <laughs> That's beautiful. As we bring this uh, to landing, Sophie, what parting wisdom do you wish to offer to people listening to create new futures? I think patience and understanding. We have a lot going on. It's not going to be easy for some years. And the more that we can understand each other, work together and have patience for the fact that we've got, we've got to get through a lot is probably the most helpful thing I can think of saying. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aviv. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.